You know it's a terrible format that doesn't make sense anymore when the candidates are on this television platform trying to posture for you know segments and bits that are going to be on other platforms. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, October 2nd, which means it's Media Monday. Today, I'm joined by John Kelly to talk about the boring and inconsequential Republican debate that went down last week and changed nothing about the GOP presidential race. John and I also game out who might become the next CEO of The Washington Post. And we do a little postmortem on another CEO, Linda Yaccarino of X slash Twitter, whose appearance at last week's Code Conference was as cringy as it gets. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. If it's Monday, it's Media Monday, of course. I'm joined by John Kelly. It's October John, how many people in your Jersey neighborhood have their Halloween decorations up already? It starts with me, Peter. We've had them up for about three or four days. <laughs> the, the kids wanted the skeletons out early. I, um, against my better judgment, covered all the windows on the second floor, you know, front side of the house with goblins and ghoul stuff. I hate it. I think it's really tacky. I never wanted to be this sort of suburban parent, but uh, so it goes, <laughs> man. So it goes. I am not yet a parent, but I always actually really like decorating for Halloween. It's I've always been into it ever since I was little with my parents, my brothers. Like I love Halloween. I'm a I'm a Halloween fan. I know that sounds That's weird, funny. but I enjoy it. Well, Peter, I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but uh, I think you've been in California too long. If you were to drive through the pastures <laughs> of New Jersey in October, you'd see that it, it's a veritable freak show out here. You, you can barely believe what's acceptable on people's lawns these days. So uh, I I try to keep up appearances, but uh, it can be very, very overwhelming here in the burbs. (laughs) Keeping up with the Kellys. John, we have a lot to talk about today on Media Monday. There's a ton of media news. I want to talk about the Fox business debate last week. I want to talk about the Washington Post searching for their new CEO. I want to talk about the crazy 
interview at the code conference with mm. Linda Yaccarino that she did with Julia Borston, which was sort of off the rails. Nuts. But I, I do want to start with the with the second Republican debate. I guarantee you by now on Monday, people don't care about it. It felt like at the time it happened, no one cared about it. I had met up with some reporters for drinks on the Tuesday night out here in Los Angeles. People were flying in, you know, from Washington to go up to Simi Valley to the Reagan Library to watch the debate. And people were asking me if I was going and I was like, no, why would I why (laughs) would I go? Partly because of just like the way these debates work at this point. You know, I've been to enough of them. You sit in a press file. You watch on a big screen. You then go to a spin room and get the spin. And the most you can ask for from traveling to these things as a reporter is some FaceTime with some sources. You know, the last debate, the previous one was in Milwaukee. Like, I like Milwaukee. Would have been fun to go to Milwaukee and like try some restaurants in Milwaukee or whatever. Anyway, you just don't <laughs> learn a lot that you can't learn from just sitting at home and watching this shit on TV like most voters watch. The ratings were down. But man, just from like a production perspective, like blah, like really, really not good. You couldn't hear what the candidates were saying sometimes, especially when they're talking over each other. Uh, the moderators were just not great. I mean, the first debate was also on Fox. I thought it was much better. Generally speaking, what was your takeaway? I agree with you on everything except for the Milwaukee part. You're on your own there, brother. But, uh, <laughs> Damian oh, Lillard, I, you're going to have a great yeah. time in Milwaukee. I promise. It's really cool I, town. <laughs> yeah, poor Damian Lillard. I, I know you get Giannis, but can you think of? I, I guess that's the second worst NBA city to be in besides hey, Portland. I mean, just, I'm discovering in the course of this podcast some disagreements between us, my friend. Oh, I am man. pro Milwaukee. We'll save that. Uh, for a C segment someday. Anyway. Yeah, Memphis. I, I'm, I'm going to think the Charlotte. I mean, it's tough sledding out there. When I was watching it, I felt, I think, the same way you did, which is uh, the same way I feel when I'm watching somehow a game show or a television news magazine, and you just can't help but feel, why is this format still exist? A debate? Yeah. Are we in middle school? You're watching these these grown men in ill-fitting suits and a couple and, and you know Nikki Haley raising their hands to speak over the moderators who were, as you put it, I mean, they were terrible. Dana Perino, uh, actually, I think was the most successful, but th- there were a stunning number of like flubbed lines. Maybe there was something wrong with the lighting or the or the prompter. I mean, there were, there were so many technical errors that I have to assume that there was some production failure. But you know, it's a terrible format that doesn't make sense anymore when the candidates are on this television platform trying to posture for you know segments and bits that are going to be on other platforms that awful Chris Christie bit about Donald Duck that's, you know, being clipped for YouTube or Twitter Mm -hmm. and the DeSantis uh, finger wagging. You know, there was a moment where I, um, God, I mean, it's so bleak. There was a moment I just laughed where Christie offered his, you know, first anti-Trump swing. And then two seconds later, they, they called on DeSantis, who said exactly, like, verbatim, the same thing. I thought, we're living in an alternate universe. These people aren't even communicating with one another. They're, and they're not even communicating with the, you know, millions of people who are watching this. They're trying to get clipped, and uh, that's a sign that we have to rethink these things. But as you put it squarely, it's over. You know, you, you watch that, and you think, just cancel the show, cancel the season, get rid of these people. As Tara put it in a piece last week, 
Let's move on to 2028. We don't need Glenn Youngkin. We don't need Jeff Rota to extend this agony anymore. And we have more debates. That seems like a threat. That's like when you find out that Billions is, is now in season 12, you know, and you, you, you stopped paying attention a while ago and all the main characters are off the show mm-hmm. uh, enough already. And if you're Donald Trump, obviously you would never participate in this. It, it makes no sense at all. But the um, and the, the sort of interesting corollary too, as we saw for the, in the previous debate in your uh, second hometown of Milwaukee, is that the counter programming doesn't make sense either. You know, they staged a debate in Milwaukee. Trump staged a conversation with Tucker on X in the bubbles that you and I and many other people live in, both of those things were sort of avoidable or 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 yawn-worthy. And so we live in a new time, and the idea that the candidates are speaking to the American people from the Reagan library is just an enormous falsehood. It falls flat in its face, and it's another reason to tune out of the stage of politics. Yeah, I by the way, I have a piece up on Puck today about the silliness of Glenn Youngkin, and I think a lot of people who write about Youngkin right now are you know, talking about like, you know, will he, won't he, you know, I can say as a matter of fact, he's not going to run for president. And there are a lot of just like factors that will determine that. But everyone, please shut up. <laughs> like if you're talking <laughs> about this, like every GOP donor, go talk to a voter in Iowa or New Hampshire, stop calling reporters and reporters stop writing about what donors say, because it doesn't matter. Uh, John, I'm going to read to you a quote and uh, see if you agree with it. Quote, tonight's GOP debate was as boring and inconsequential as the first debate, and nothing that was said will change the dynamics of the primary contest being dominated by President Trump. President Trump has a 40 or 50 point lead in the primary election and a 10 point lead over Joe Biden in the general election. It's clear that President Trump alone can defeat Biden. The RNC should immediately put an end to any further primary debates. That was a quote from Trump senior advisor, Chris LaCivita. And man, it's hard to disagree with that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with it to a letter. And I think that the biggest fear that the RNC may have is that they actually do inadvertently create this sort of Vivek Nikki mini power center that has to be appeased in some way. But um, let's just mm-hmm. let, let's get it over with people. Let's move on to the main event. Yeah. One more thing on the production. The Reagan Library, I believe, has hosted four Republican primary debates. I think 2007 might have been the first one during that Mm -hmm. primary cycle. CNN did one of them in 2008. The reason I say the audio and the production quality was poor is because those ones were really good. Like you could hear Mm -hmm. uh, what the candidates were saying. And like it just provides a useful A-B test like against previous debates at, at the venue, which is pretty stunning. They've got Air Force One in that pavilion. Something was just off. And, and a final note as well on, on the reactions to the debate, ABC News 538 and the Washington Post did, did a you know pretty sizable reaction poll after the debate. People, Republicans, by the way, there's a disconnect between the way the media talks about Ron DeSantis and how Republicans talk about Ron DeSantis. Republicans thought Ron DeSantis won this thing. Uh, he did really mm-hmm. well. Then Nikki Haley... Uh, Vivek was obviously polarizing uh, because he is, you know, hypocritical and incoherent and clearly everyone hates him. Then the pollsters went a little bit deeper and looked at if the debate shifted voter preference in any direction. Nothing changed. Like these Mm -hmm. debates just aren't changing anyone's opinions right now. And focus groups after the debate said the same thing. Anyway, uh, it's it's hard to see the value of, of these things moving forward in this Republican primary. John, I also want to talk to you about Dylan Byers reporting last week about the Washington Post 
searching for a new CEO. Fred Ryan uh, was obviously asked to leave <laughs> by mm-hmm. Bezos and company. Patty Stonecipher, who is very well liked at the Washington Post, former Amazon person, has been the interim CEO and they're searching for a new one. What did you think about Dylan's reporting and some of the names that came up to possibly take over the business side of the Washington Post? It's interesting. I first of all, Fred Ryan actually I think is the uh, is the chairman of the Reagan Library. So, um, oh yeah, funny connection there. And I found the, the name the, the list of names interesting. I was surprised and and not surprised. I guess that they they went hard after Meredith Covet Levin, um, the Times company CEO at first. I think Meredith lives mm-hmm. in Washington. Uh, she does very well at the Times, uh, but I'm sure that Bezos it's a private company. He could offer her whatever she wants to make that jump. But I I, I don't see why. She would do that. She also just hired the as her CRO, um, a person who, who I guess was uh, in a similar role at the Washington Post. So she's used a lot of her, you know, sort of personal capital uh, to build the Times and done a phenomenal job. The other names were interesting, and it made me think honestly that there's no obvious person for this job, and and perhaps mm-hmm. that's one reason why it took a long time for Bezos to replace Ryan and yes I think you can say that he's he, he was pushed out but Bezos basically created a sinecure for him uh, an institute for him to sort of um, you know be able to, to take lunches in Washington and, and talk about what he's doing but there are names that uh, appeared in that list that surprised me and you know I think that there are probably people that were in both the Washington Post CEO search and the puck CEO search. So it's mm. uh, it, it was interesting to see that they were talking to people like Nick Thompson, who's new in that chair at the Atlantic, and you can't fault someone for taking a call from Patty and, and Jeff Bezos. That's uh, understandable. But when you take the profile of, of someone like Nick, and I like Nick, Nick's a great guy, um, mm-hmm. who's you know leading a company that's you know a couple five hundred people and probably makes you know forty million dollars in revenue, fifty. I'm, I'm, I'm estimating. Uh, the Washington Post is a serious step up from that. Yeah, uh, Bob Cohn was in the list. He's the president of the Economist. That that that's a probably multiple hundred million dollar business. Um, uh, that made a little bit more sense. Evan Smith in uh, Texas Tribune, also great guy. Love the guy, but it seemed like a very different job. Evan's a, a former journalist and really is sort of remains a card carrying journalist. This is a this is an mm-hmm. operational role. So when I saw the list that Dylan put together and then you know he had he had some more names uh later in the week about this sort of populate the the real short list it occurred to me that you know not not surprisingly newspaper companies hardly exist anymore in our culture right they're they've been rolled up into large entities like Gannett you know it, 30 years ago Gannett paid like 300 million dollars for the local Louisville paper these days, Gannett <laughs> itself trades for three hundred million dollars. Like it, it's a it's a different world. So I'm sure that they probably, similar to what Arthur Sulzberger did a, a, a decade ago, they probably wanted to hire somebody outside of traditional media, traditional publishing, and I bet that they found that hard. Mm-hmm. And I think that they also are are valuing somebody who has the ability to take phone calls from the president or the ability to. Um, negotiate some of the the scary things you have to deal with in a job like that you know if a, if a reporter gets detained for instance if there's an, an Evan right, Gershman right, style right. situation you need to have someone who who uh who knows how to manage that and, and manage risk but when you look at the people in media who are you know potential contenders for this they're few and far between and that's just sort of a sign of the times i totally agree with you on that it's like uh looking at like 
Democrats. It's like, where's the bench? <laughs> the bench has, <laughs> has shrunk a lot. Uh, one more thing before going to break. I just want to flag, speaking of Gannett, uh, they have posted jobs to cover both Taylor Swift and Beyonce. USA Today's parent company. They have a thousand applications so far. Responses have come from, this is according to the Wall Street Journal, Emmy award-winning journalists, TikTok influencers, and a reporter working at the White House. Show yourself, White House reporter. <laughs> Honestly, probably more of a fun job covering Taylor Swift. I'll Can take I make one more jump? suggestion before we go to the break, though, Peter? Sure. This is not, yeah. uh, this is me taking off one hand, putting on another. The person I would hire if I were Jeff Bezos and I had all the money in the world and I cared about this asset and I realized that profitable media is good media and they, they lose about $100 million a year there. And I wanted to do make a sort of cultural correction. The, the guy I would hire that potentially you could hire, I'm not, not trying to give a, a total fantasy football possibility here, would be Roy Schwartz, who was the president mm. of Axios. And then when they sold to Cox, he spun out with Axios HQ, which is a software company. I don't know. Um, I, I think I've heard that's doing well. Um, Jordan Zaslov is uh, one of the key executives there. And I would, if, if I were Bezos, that would be my number one target. That's a smart name. Young guy as well. Mm -hmm. I think you should um, appear as a source in Dylan's next piece on this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take my, uh, I'll take my, um, my fees, Jeff, in uh, crypto. That's fine. We, we can figure out how I want to structure it later. <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to ask you about Linda Yaccarino's wild ride at the Code Conference last week. Hey, Powers That Be listeners. I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. 
The ChiliPad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life welcome back to the powers that be everybody it's media monday last week uh at the code conference in orange county x slash twitter ceo linda yaccarino who's been in that role for what like six months or so appeared at the code conference she did an interview not with kara swisher but with Julia Borston of CNBC and they talked for like 45 minutes and I mean, this was, this was not very comfortable. I will say there were, it was sort of clear what we've, you know, assumed for a while that Elon Musk does his thing. It wasn't, it wasn't totally certain that Linda knows exactly what's going on day to day. She couldn't answer basic questions about the company. Uh, She did reveal that, uh, because this is a private company, we don't have these figures like we used to now. Uh, Twitter has 540 million monthly active users and 225 million daily active users. That's the that's the more precious number, I think, for tech companies. Uh, for comparison, I think some analysts think Threads has about 9 million DAU. Uh, so just puncturing that Threads balloon a little more, which is one of my favorite recent pastimes. Did you watch this thing, John? I listened to it after the fact. I didn't go to code this year. You know, this is the first non-Kara code, so I admit I sort of, not you know, d- didn't feel an obligation to go. Who would ever do a non-Kara we, code? Who <laughs> would I know? <laughs> yeah, we we like our pals Casey Newton. I don't know Julia Borston, um, but uh, uh, I didn't want to go to Laguna Niguel. I actually I, I take the alternative contrarian view with some of these conferences where I don't want to be trapped somewhere with a bunch of conference goers for two days i i i like to kind of come in and out as i please i think that's a this is why i don't go this is what i was saying this is why i don't go to the debates it's the same thing it's just a traveling conference it is and some people love that oddly enough not not my uh cup of tea but it was it was a scorcher i mean linda yaccarino from the moment that she was hired has seemed to have some sort of screw loose like she's a um she is a trouble starter, and I, in the advertising world of you know her previous life, where where she was this kind of preeminent can lion figure, I think that that played in her favor. She was loud, she's boisterous, etc. 
she also just seems like she's someone who who wanted to be a CEO and uh, and d- deeply. And there are people who are, uh-huh. who are wired this way, and that she's putting up with a lot to get there. So I I will say I actually come to this, um, and and this is not like you know therapy working, but I, I come to this from a place of empathy. Like, can you imagine the job? There are some things for which n- no amount of money is enough. And being mm-hmm. Elon Musk's like complicit sidekick, can, I mean, can you imagine what that must be like? I, I presume that you're having your morality tested on a, on a, a a daily, if not hourly basis. So I'm sure that you know she's even for for whatever her politics may be that she's um, that she's being pushed and, and twisted into certain ways. But what was scary about the interview, it, it was that she seemed fundamentally unprepared and seemed to be unable to speak in any way confidently about her company. Now, I get the context in the background. She was a little pissed and a little uneasy because Kara had invited mm-hmm. Yoel Roth, who was the previous Twitter head of security, who Elon Musk disgustingly browbeat into basically hiding when he when he fired him from Twitter. I mean, I think Yoel Roth had had, um, had, to, had to flee his house. And yep. it was was vocal about the fact that Musk is a bully during during his conversation. And I think that Lindy Acarino, um, and look, there's, there's politics in these conferences, even if there shouldn't be. Of course, there are politics. You, you don't want to let your executive go out there when there's someone who's going to uh, potentially say something that, that's damaging about them, even if it's completely true. It's just that this is life, people, right? This is capitalism. It's the world we've chosen. So I, I get that she may have been a little flummoxed, but her inability to think on her feet was chilling to me. And, and not just chilling because she that, that she couldn't extemporize, but chilling because it seemed like she was operating in the audience of one. I actually, in my own sort of twisted mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. Har- harken back to um, Brett Kavanaugh's, you know, Beach Week testimony in when, when he was uh, nominated for a seat on the Supreme Court. And, you know, th- this this incident from his past came up with Christina Blasey Ford that there may have been some sexual impropriety many decades past. And it looked there was an extraordinary media scrutiny over this. It became a, a culture war topic, and you know the Democrats were were leaning into it. And Kavanaugh, anyone I think in their right mind would have stepped down, but Kavanaugh got the advice to fight, and essentially was told Donald Trump is watching this somewhere in the residence over a cheeseburger and a coke, and you have to look like a, a legitimate insane person to try and win him over, and he did just that. And he, and he was later confirmed. In this conversation, I felt as though Yaccarino was essentially just performing for Musk and was terrified about having a hair out of place, so to speak. And that was deeply uncomfortable uh, when you consider that somebody who's running a platform that however many million people are engaged in daily. And that it, it's clearer than ever that it's a cult of personality. It's I think you made a really smart point, though, as well, like her inability to, you know, extemporize on stage was weird. Like if you are and like her background is in sales too. like your job is to be an evangelist and a, and a, and a politician, basically, for your company or your brand. And usually people like that are good at riffing, <laughs> especially at like conference events and panels. And, and even if you're like not completely on message, you don't look totally defensive and yeah i think you're right she was probably just twisted up by worrying she about was scared i mean Elon she was, she watching was like, on a live stream somewhere you know what in his backwards cowboy hat completely she, she looked terrified i mean the, um there were two moments very uh proximate to each other where 
you almost it, it was almost deeply uncomfortable the, in the in the first one she asked about she asked the questioner to repeat the question you know very clearly trying to like get back to her feet to think about how she wanted to, to bloviate and then in the second point she uh, moments later she said I, I have to go soon you know can, can we wrap this up you know in front of like an auditorium with hundreds of people uh, many of whom are in the media and are going to disseminate this like she looked scared man like that was what really freaked me out and uh it's, it leaves a chill all right john busy week ahead i will let you go thanks so much for joining me as always buddy all right man i appreciate it and uh i'll see you in the slack thanks so much for listening to another episode of the powers that be as a reminder the powers that be is the official podcast of puck we'd like to thank ben landy liz goff and alex bigler for their editorial and production guidance if you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.